Available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Welcome to Outlook. This edition has been recorded on Wednesday, November the 22nd, 2023. I'm Peter Walters, and we've got a packed programme for you. Um, we're looking at uh, one of the great character actors in, in England, David Suchet. Um, we're, to- we're hearing about infrasound, very unusual uh, phenomenon that. And I do recall the person who we're talking about um, researching it in Coventry many years ago. Um, there's been some worries about Hurstle Baptist Church, but we've got some good news on that. Um, we're looking back to the hurdy-gurdy days. Uh, and there's a piece about charities, including Dementia UK. But first of all, we're going to start with the news this week from myself and Elaine. Outlook News. Many people could be missing out on a tax-free Department for Work and Pensions benefit worth £441 a month. The DWP offers a range of benefits for different circumstances, but attendance allowance remains underclaimed. Attendance allowance helps with extra costs if you have a disability severe enough that you need someone to help look after you. The payment is paid at two different rates and how much you get depends on the level of care that you need because of your disability. You could either get £68.10p and or £101.75p per week to help with personal support if you're both physically or mentally disabled and state pension age or older but it does not cover mobility needs. The full list of conditions that can qualify for attendance allowance is extensive and infectious diseases from COVID to tuberculosis, malaria and being terminally ill are also listed. With it totalling up to £5,291 a year, it could be worthwhile for people to check if they are eligible. If you're eligible, you have the chance to get the best protection by being vaccinated. Even if you've had a vaccine or been ill with flu or COVID-19 before, your immunity fades over time and these viruses can change each year. One of those who took the opportunity to protect himself was recently retired journalist Chris Page, who has a long-term serious underlying health conditions, including a weakened immune system and chronic asthma. I believe that vaccines against flu and COVID-19 allow me to live my life to the full without fear of hospitalisation or worse, says Chris. Dr Susan Hopkins, Chief Medical Advisor at UKHSA, has urged those with certain health conditions, older people and pregnant women, to protect themselves. Last year, the flu virus was estimated to be responsible for over 14,000 excess deaths and tens of thousands of hospitalisations, including over 10,000 in children, she says. Last winter, the vaccine prevented an estimated 25,000 hospitalisations, but this could be even greater if all those eligible for the flu vaccine came forward this year. 
Taking up both the flu and COVID-19 vaccines ahead of winter provides the best level of protection against severe illness, helping to keep you winter strong and will help ease the pressure on the NHS. Those eligible for a free flu and COVID-19 vaccine are those aged 65 years and over, those aged six months to under 65 years in clinical risk groups, pregnant women, those in long-stay residential care homes, carers, close contacts of immunocompromised individuals, frontline health and social care workers. Also, if your child is aged two or three on the 31st of August 2023, or in primary school or secondary school, years 7 to 11, they can get a free flu vaccine. Most will receive a quick and easy nasal spray. The NHS is offering the vaccines through booked or walk-in appointments at thousands of sites across the country, usually at a GP practice or a local pharmacy. Where possible, you can get protected against both viruses in just a few minutes. However, it's best to get each vaccine as soon as you can. Booking is quick and easy, and appointments usually take just a few minutes. Eligible adults can book their free flu and COVID-19 vaccinations online at nhs.uk slash winter vaccinations or on the NHS app. Those who can't get online can make a booking by calling 119 for free. Flu vaccinations can also be booked directly through your GP practice or local pharmacy for over 18s only. A Coventry Labour MP has accused her own party of being institutionally Islamophobic. Zara Sultana made the claim in an interview after the majority of her Labour colleagues voted against a ceasefire in Gaza in the House of Commons. The Coventry South MP gave an impassioned speech during the debate and voted for a Scottish National Party amendment which called for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. But this was not carried, despite more than 50 Labour MPs backing it, and Sir Keir Starmer ordered his party MPs not to support it, amid concerns that it would allow Hamas to regroup while halting Israel's offensive. The Coventry South representative is demanding a review into Islamophobia in her party. It was during the conversation about the Ford report which found serious discrimination problems within the Labour Party. This included evidence incidents of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. She said nothing serious has been done about these issues. Asked about Islamophobia in the party, she said, The Labour Party has a problem, and I would go as far as saying it is institutionally racist, because this isn't just my individual experience or the experience of members. It crosses through to the briefings that come out, the kind of language that is used, the policies that we're willing to say are fine and acceptable. A Labour spokesperson said in response, Labour is committed to tackling Islamophobia again across society. Labour's National Executive Committee has approved a code of conduct on Islamophobia. Labour will continue to robustly stand up for the rights of Muslims in our party and wider society. 
A new wave of rail strikes will disrupt all services on the West Midlands Railway Network on Sunday, December the 3rd. The strike action was announced by the ASLEF Union last week. Union members will also refuse to work overtime, which could lead to service disruption and on-the-day cancellations throughout the strike action. The current wave of industrial action, which has seen a total of 14 strike days since July 2022, continues to blight passengers as the union seeks a pay rise for its members. The 18-month dispute remains ongoing after ASLEF members rejected a pay offer in April, yet rail operators and the current Conservative government appear too stubborn to reopen negotiations. We are determined to win this dispute, said Mick Whelan, ASLEF's General Secretary, and get a significant pay rise for train drivers who have not had an increase since 2019, while the cost of living in that time has soared. Our members have spoken and we know what they think. Every time they vote, and they voted overwhelmingly for strike action in pursuit of a proper pay rise, it's a clear rejection of the offer that was made in April. Mick Whelan added, We will continue to take industrial action until the train companies and or the government sits down and negotiates with us in good faith. Other train operators will be impacted, but each on different dates. Passengers with valid tickets for travel on the affected day may be entitled to compensation under the delay repay scheme, subject to its guidelines. Rishi Sunak has pledged to tackle the scourge of potholes with an £8.3 billion funding for local roads maintenance in England. The Prime Minister described the investment, which will be made available to local authorities over 11 years, as unprecedented. The funding is part of the government's Network North plan published in October to spend money saved by scrapping HS2 north of Birmingham. AA figures show call-outs to pothole-related breakdowns are at near-record levels. The organisation has received more than 450,000 so far this year. Of the 8.3 billion being allocated, 2.2 billion will go to the West Midlands and East Midlands. The Department for Transport said 5.5 billion of funding for local roads maintenance between 2020 and 2025 was announced before the Network North plan, and this is in addition to that. Mr Sunak said, For too long, politicians have shied away from taking the right long-term decisions to make life easier for hard-working families, tackling the scourge of potholes being a prime example. For drivers, for cyclists, for bus users, anyone who uses the roads, this is a real improvement. It is up to local authorities how to spend maintenance funding, such as on tackling potholes and resurfacing roads. They are giving it to local authorities to make sure they are held accountable and ensure they have to be transparent about what they are spending the money on. The local electorate can then hold them to account. The RAC said, This funding should in time go a considerable way to bringing our roads back to a fit-for-purpose state and saving drivers hundreds of pounds in the process 
from not having to fork out for frustrating repairs to their vehicles. A year after going into administration and being bought by new owners, leaders at Coventry Building Society Arena say the venue has set the foundations for success. Over the last 12 months, the venue has hosted around 750 events and attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors, with major events being held, including back-to-back sell-out performances from Harry Styles. Since being acquired by Fraser's Group in November 2022, the venue has pursued a major investment plan and has been able to introduce initiatives for sustainability and community engagement, says Paul Michael. Managing Director at Coventry Building Society Arena. Visitors have seen improvements around the arena on their visits, with the enhanced concourse, improvements to the guest experience in the on-site Doubletree by Hilton Hotel, and new technology being installed, such as the new ANPR parking system. Our focus initially was stabilisation, and to do this we had to make sure that relationships with our key partners such as Coventry Building Society and Coventry City FC, were retained and strengthened. From there, we set about rebuilding and growing our team, which was essential to getting the venue back to where we should be. Fraser's Group has been brilliant, and we've been able to make key investments to position the venue for growth. We're focused on growing our conference and exhibitions portfolio, strengthening our live music and events offer, and boosting our international footprint. The arena has seen more than 150% growth in the number of staff, with the total headcount now standing at 150 permanent employees and over 900 casual staff. The arena has restructured its senior team to help drive the venue into its new era, which was headlined by the appointment of experienced operations director Claire Harkness in August. The appointment of Harkness was central to one of the arena's core goals over the next year, to strengthen its live events portfolio and become a nighttime leisure destination. Fraser's Group has already invested millions of pounds in the venue and is pursuing a long-term multi-million investment plan. A charity which has been helping homeless and vulnerable people across Coventry and Warwickshire for 50 years is now making an urgent appeal for donations after seeing a high demand for their services during colder months. The Coventry Cyrenians have launched a Golden Winter Appeal. It comes as figures show the number of people seeking help from the charity have doubled in less than a year. They provide more supported housing for single homeless people than any other local agency and currently have 149 properties operating as a high-quality landlord. As well as providing housing, the charity supports its residents in gaining the skills, mental and physical health support. It also aims to give them the confidence to move on from temporary accommodation and change their lives. The charity has been providing Christmas Day meals for more than 30 years, with over 100 people attending the event last year. It has set a target of £15,000 on its Just Giving page for people to donate, which states, The need for help among homeless and vulnerable people across Coventry and Warwickshire has never been greater. That's why your donations will make a big difference. Our Golden Winter Appeal 2024, marking our 50th anniversary, 
aims to provide help and support for those in need throughout the winter. The appeal will also fund our annual Christmas Day event, which provides a hot meal, presents and entertainment on the big day. The Christmas Day event at the Methodist Central Hall is for anyone who doesn't have access to a hot meal. Cyrenians are hoping the appeal will help to bring some much-needed joy and comfort, not only on Christmas Day, but throughout the winter. More than 20 million people across Great Britain are claiming state pension or benefits from the DWP to help with the additional costs of day-to-day living. Encouragingly, figures released earlier this year by the Department for Work and Pensions indicated that fraud and error in the benefit system is falling. The UK government has repeatedly emphasised its determination to drive levels down further and protect taxpayers' money. During the next financial year, 2024-25, the DWP has announced that it will measure a sample of claims from six specific benefits as part of its fraud and error exercise for 2024. These benefits are universal credit, housing benefit, pension credit, state pension, personal independence payment and disability living allowance. In a new update, the DWP also announced that the state pension measurement will include claims administered through the Get Your State Pension Online service in the financial year ending 2024. This will also see the measurement of disability living allowance for the first time (laughs) since the financial year ending 2005. The DWP intends to publish the fraud and error report for the financial year ending April 2024 in May next year. Animal abandonments are at a three-year high in Warwickshire. There has been a 35.9% rise in incidents compared to 2020, according to figures released by the RSPCA. There were 207 reports of animal abandonment in the county this year, which the animal welfare charity is putting down to the ongoing cost of living crisis. And the sobering picture in Warwickshire (coughs) is being mirrored across the whole of the UK. Already this year, up to the end of October, The RSPCA has received over 17,000 reports of abandoned animals across England and Wales, which, if such trends continue, would equate to over 21,000 reports over this year. This compares with 16,000 reports showing the whole of 2020, meaning the RSPCA is on course to see an eye-watering 32.9% rise in abandonment calls this year. Dermot Murphy, who heads the RSPCA frontline rescue team, said, The combined effects of the pandemic and the ongoing cost of living crisis has created a perfect storm and means we expect more animals than ever will need our help this year. Our rescue teams are set to be busier than ever this Christmas, So we need animal lovers to join the Christmas rescue and donate to help us be there for animals in desperate need as neglect and abandonment soars. Dermot added, For nearly 200 years the RSPCA has been working tirelessly to bring animals to safety and give them the expert treatment and compassion they deserve. 
will continue to do so for as long as we're needed. But we can't do that without the support of fellow animal lovers. And together, we can save more lives. Sub-zero temperatures are set to freeze parts of the UK in the coming days, and there may even be some snow. A cold blast is set to sweep parts of northern England and Scotland from Friday, November the 24th. Some forecasters have said that snow could also be on its way, but the Met Office's latest prediction does not include the white stuff, though, that there is a chance it could hit the West Midlands. James Madden from Exacta Weather said, It's now increasingly likely that we'll see at least one to two notable wintry blasts from late November and into the first half of December, but it may turn milder, or much milder, later. However, a sudden stratospheric warming event, warming event from later this month and into December could change that outlook to an even colder and more wintry theme for many parts of the country and would drastically change the overall outlook for December as a whole, particularly during the second half of the month and increasing our white Christmas chances significantly under such circumstances. Another forecaster said, It's uncertain how prolonged this cold spell will be, but likely that, that through this period, milder, more unsettled conditions from the west will gradually replace the colder air. The Met Office has not predicted snow, but it has said that cold and unsettled weather is on its way. This prediction is mirrored in Coventry and Warwickshire, with our latest local forecast showing that this Friday, November the 24th, there is likely to be frost, and it will be feeling colder. Then more unsettled weather is set to hit our region over the weekend. City author Aaron Ashmore is looking to spread some Christmas cheer by teaming up with Coventry's vintage sleigh ride. The sleigh will begin flying visitors to Lapland to visit Father Christmas this Saturday, November the 25th. Once inside Santa's Grotto, each child will receive a specially made gift from St Nicholas himself. The ride was a fixture at the Heart of England Co-op on Corporation Street since 1956 and was saved through a public campaign when the store closed. It found a new ho-ho-ho home at Coventry Transport Museum. It is thought to be the last of its kind still in use. Aaron said, I can vividly remember the Coventry sleigh ride from when I was younger and the magic still remains to this day. In his new seasonal book, the story unfolds on Christmas Eve where disaster strikes as Santa's sleigh breaks down while flying over Coventry, forcing two helpful elves to help save the festive season. Teaming up with the Transport Museum for this new book has been an honour, and I'm looking forward to the young people of the city finding out about the secret behind the Coventry sleigh ride. Outlook News Uh, thanks to Elaine for helping me out with the news there. Um, and now here's a novelty. We've actually got uh, a piece, a little piece about roadworks. I haven't seen that for quite a long time on this programme. Anyway, here's a list of roadworks you need to be aware of in the city. All different works and dates, so just go carefully. A45 Birmingham Road and the A45 Dunchurch Highway. London Road, Abbey Road, Brinklow Road, Allard Way, Terry Road, Clark Street... Hampton Road, 
Potters Green Road, Easton's Grove, Copperfield Road, Windsor Street, Hockley Lane and Orchard Drive. Uh, these, of course, are just the planned works and don't include emergency work. Uh, moving on, we have the rising up times this week. Sunrise is at 7.39am and sunset 4.06pm. Very, very early. Uh, moving on again, uh, we're now coming to who has got this week's news from the Zool Centre. Hugh. Thank you very much. Um, now, almost all of you would have heard by now the desperately sad news that our beloved Rosie Brady, co-founder of this charity, died last Thursday evening. She was at home surrounded by her family as she wished and received a huge amount of love and support from them, from them and her many, many friends in her final weeks. It's not often you can say of an 83-year-old that they died too young, but that's exactly how I feel. I've never met anyone who had as much life running through her and a joy in life as well, despite the challenges of her sight loss. And that was the energy and the insight she brought to her work at the Resource Centre, along with compassion and kindness, determination and the brassiest of brass necks. It was in 2009 when Sense, the national charity supporting people with dual sensory loss that had operated the Resource Centre since 1995, decided to pull out of Coventry. Although the service they offered was not brilliant, there was a serious risk of there being no support for visually people at all in Coventry once they'd gone. A steering group was formed with lots of people on board initially, but bit by bit they all fell away until only two people were left, Tricia and Rosie. And they just decided that if no one else was going to do it, then they had to. They had no money, but they did have a building, and more importantly, a determination to succeed against the quite considerable odds. Although very different, they worked well together, each with their own strengths, and bit by bit the charity grew and grew and grew. We are now a stable, still-growing and thriving charity that will continue long into the future, supporting more and more people with visual impairments. One of the most remarkable things about Rosie was her power of persuasion. She could get almost anybody to do almost anything, and what's more, really want to do it. My first involvement with the centre was actually here with a talking newspaper, barely a year after CRCB was founded. A few months later, there was, a, there was a street sale happening in the area, and Robert and I were wandering round it. Rosie and Trish had a table of bric-a-brac out front, and we got chatting. Trisha, I think it was, asked me if I knew anything about the charity, and I said, well, I volunteer here. And Rosie, who was all about the volunteers, of course, said, do you? Ten minutes later, they asked me if I would like to consider becoming a trustee. Over the years, I couldn't resist. Not, not, those, uh, not those two women. Over the years, my role has changed and developed a great deal, and Rosie in particular was always there to provide good advice, encouragement, and occasionally a little slap on the wrist. We would often sit for a good long chat about things, never just about the charity, but about our families and people at the centre. She was my random access memory. She could remember a name of someone we'd met sometimes years before. And although deeply proud of her Irish roots, and boy did she love to have fun on St Patrick's Day, she was also very Coventry. I often joked that she was related to one half of the city, and had worked with, been to school with, or babysat the other. I don't think I was too far off the truth, to be honest. The point is, though, that most of those people who she'd met over the course of her life also remembered her. Not just remembered, but adored her one way or another. She brought so much goodwill with her, that when the charity needed help, there was always someone who wanted to, 
because it was Rosie's passion, her reason for carrying on. I've said this many times recently, but I don't mind saying it again. I'm so proud of the culture that we have here at the Resource Centre of kindness, compassion, understanding, frankness, supportiveness, and making time to have fun and find the joy in life. Those are the values that Rosie brought to this charity. Those are the values that will endure, and that is a formidable legacy. So many people will miss her deeply. I know that I will. Rosie's funeral will take place on Thursday the 14th of December. The centre will be closed that day. No groups will operate at all. The service will be at 11.30am at St John Fisher Roman Catholic Church on Tiverton Road in Wycombe. There will be a private interment after that before a wake-stroke celebration of Rosie's wonderful life at the Jaguar Cars uh, Sports and Social Club in Alsley in the afternoon. I don't have time, the timings for that yet. What I do know is that the family have asked for plenty of involvement from the Resource Centre. So Visibly Sound will be singing. There will hopefully be something from the Creative Writing Group and also a contribution from Craft Club. A lot of people from the centre will want to go, of course, and frankly, more than we can manage with the minibuses. I would strongly urge you, if you can, to find your own way there. If you have a friend who could take you, or if you're willing to get a taxi. However, if you want to go and you really haven't got any other means of transport, please call us on 024 7522 and leave your name with Heather or Carol. We're going to ask volunteers who are going if they can fit anyone in their cars and we will allocate spaces there and on the minibuses according to need. Now, on to other matters. Um, I had arranged a theatre trip to see Arsenic and Old Lace at the Criterion on the 14th of December. Obviously, that's not going to happen on that day now. Um, instead, I have swapped the tickets for Tuesday the 12th of December. If you've already booked your place, um, Carol, uh, I think, has already uh, called you to make sure that you've got the message and can still come. If you haven't and would like a ticket, uh, there seems to be some availability still and I can probably squeeze you in. Uh, you just need to call and find out more. Uh, before all that, in a couple of weeks' time, we have the winter warmer, of course. Now, I mean, if we have to carry on with these things, because uh, Rosie, frankly, would come back and haunt us if we didn't. <laughs> uh, it was one of her favourite events, the winter warmer. I think particularly the Bailey's coffee, but there we are. Um, now, we're looking especially for people to uh, bake us some cakes uh, for us to, uh, uh, to sell on the day. Um, particularly the loaf cakes, they sell very well, or small, smaller fruit cakes, those sorts of things. If you make them now, they can be easily frozen and be just as good on the day. Uh, if you've got other, if you can't, if you don't feel up to it yourself, you can talk to, uh, maybe talk to friends and family and get them to do some for us anyway. So thank you uh, in advance for that. As you might imagine, this has been a very emotional week for everyone. Um, if you have any questions, please do let me or one of the staff know and we'll do our best to help. We may not know the answers just yet, though. Thank you, Hugh, for that uh Truly heartfelt tribute yeah. to Rosie. I'm going to miss her. Sarah's back again with us to bring you a round of the last week's sport. Hello. Before I start sport, I'd just like to say a few words about how sad I am to hear, well, firstly of Rosie's illness and now of her passing. Rosie was such a special lady. She was the centre. And she just understood because she was one of us. 
she got it. She didn't need to know your label or details of your frustrations and issues. She just got it and was wonderful. And I will always be so grateful to Rosie for just being around and in my life. And now I will pass to me to introduce the section of the programme that I know Rosie used to delight in fast-forwarding through. So, over to me. Yes, and hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's slightly shorter, probably, than usual, sport. I say shorter because there simply hasn't been as much sport around or not the sort of sport that I like to watch and comment on anyway. I'll start with football as usual but not with the great Coventry City because England were playing in the final two qualifiers for the European Championships 2024. Now as I said I think it was last week England had already qualified But all we needed was one point from our matches. So we would go in the hat as the seed and not come up against other seeded teams. Well, that's how it finished. England 2, Malta 0. But I totally agree with the Radio 5 Live commentator who said, my gosh, that match was, quote, flat as a pancake, close quotes. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is doing pancakes a disservice. It was 90 minutes of my life I will never get back. The highlight for me, though, was, I have to say, when former City player Jody Jones nearly scored, but Jody plays for Malta. And to give you an idea of Malta's level, Jody is in the is it plays for Notts County, who are in League Division Two. Mm-hmm. They haven't won any of their European Championship qualifiers. Mm-hmm. And they haven't won, I believe, I heard them say, the last hundred major tournament qualifiers. Never mind, guys, it's the taking part and you did make our England look, shall we say, not the best. Now, tonight, because I'm recording as usual on a Monday afternoon, England take on North Macedonia. Shall I be listening? Well, depends what else I've got to do. And I'm sure if North Macedonia have won, you will know about it. There was no Coventry City because, as with all these times when there's an international or internationals on because one of our players was in the Scottish squad Nah, he wasn't fielded but he was in the squad the next Coventry match is away 
at Millwall on Saturday. They don't call Millwall the den for no reason. So, we have to go to the lower leagues, the so-called non-leagues. Now, things are really getting desperate for Nuneaton Borough. Financially, that is. But they've got the second round match in the FA Trophy this week and the match was away. But the half half of the attendance fee which they were guaranteed plus the money from just appearing in the second round meant that they've got another week's money to survive. Literally, that is how it is going on, week by week. Anyway, drum roll. Their appearance doesn't know their financial stakes. And they ran out winners for two. Well done, Nuneaton. Now, there's definitely a big campaign on to make sure they're still there so they can take part in the third round of the trophy. Oh, come on, guys. There is going to be a problem, we know, when they've got their next home match because, of course, they haven't got a home. So they'll be looking to somewhere to play. Dare I suggest Hersel Common? Maybe not. Anyway, going to our teams who are in the Southern Premier League, which Nuneaton are also in, but these two would be knocked out of the cup. Confused, yes, dot, dot, dot. Leamington travelled to Sudbury and beat them zero goals to one with Leamington scoring literally just before the ref blew the whistle for the second half. And Stratford were at home to Royston Town and beat them two goals to one. So I think for the first time for Yonks, our smaller clubs had a clean sweep. Well done, lads. You're doing our area proud. So, because there wasn't any football, CWR were able to concentrate on Rugby Union and the match at Butts Park Arena between Cov Rugby Club and Doncaster Knights. Now, historically, Doncaster have been one of our bogey teams until last season when we actually beat them twice. So, which calf was going to show up this week? Well, pretty predictably, I suppose, Doncaster scored after a few minutes and led seven points to nil. But there it stopped. But not for our calf. They piled on try after try, easily got the bonus point, and in the end scored seven tries. And with converts and a penalty kick, they ran out 51 points to seven winners.
pretty damn good that apparently according to the commentator quite a few of their fans were actually leaving at half time and most had left before the very end of the match I suspect the local hostelries were doing rather well fortunately it's not that far back up to Doncaster according to my smart speaker ALEXA it's 92 miles but it would still be 92 miles with a very heavy heart. Anyway, come on, Cov, you're in second place now in the league. Well done, lads. Oops, I've just looked at my clock and sport isn't much shorter. In fact, it's no shorter than usual. Well, I love to talk. Over the weekend coming, Great Britain will take on Serbia in their match in the final eight of the Davis Cup, which is basically around a tiered system, so they get one shout at this match. Now, unfortunately, it is against Serbia. And who is the captain and leader of Serbia? No less than one Novak Jokovic, the world number one. Now remember that name because it's going to crop up again in a bit. Both Andy Murray and Dan Evans have withdrawn due to injury. Or is it that they can't face the Jokovic? Andy Murray's got a, a slight injury of his shoulder. And Dan Evans, his, his calf. Now, the l last week, it has been the ATP Finals. Now, the ATP Finals is where the top eight in each of the groups, well, the men's groups, so that's the top eight in the singles players, and the top eight in the men's doubles literally face off, to use a, a different sport phrase. Well, first of all, can I say a big well done to Joe Salisbury of Britain, who with his American partner, Rajiv Ram, won the men's doubles. So they are the this year's champion of champions. And guess who won the men's final? Mm-hmm. One Mr. Novak Jokovic. He beat Hanek Sinner of Italy 6-3, 6-3. Now, it was a very interesting match to plan ahead to because Sinner had actually beaten Jokovic during the round robin. But he, our oh, Novak was having none of that. So this year he has won three of the majors out of four, being runner-up in the fourth major, Wimblewonks as I call it, and become the ATP male champion of the year and yet again finished the year as the world number one 
well, the rest of Britain, turn up but really don't expect. And I'll tell you a bit more about how they get on next week. Now, I've got one sort of and finally, which I feel a bit guilty about doing because many of you will know that I really am quite passionate about gender equality. And it was very good to hear that the referee in the men's Coventry rugby team match was a woman. And the great thing was, the commentators didn't say anything. No smutty remarks, no sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of gaps that you could hear on the radio. Absolutely nothing. And she did a very good job. Mind you, she had quite a quiet match. She had a lot of points to blow for with our 51-7 win. Must keep rubbing that in. But well done. It was also nice to see yesterday that they were talking about the old firm derby when Manchester United took on Man City. And that was the emphasis, an old firm derby. No mention of the fact that it was in the Women's Premier League. Anyway, things are a-coming on. Bye, folks. See you next week. Don't have nightmares. So what do you make of that comprehensive report? Let us and Sarah know in Postbag. And from those highlights, we go over to Dave with your Postbag for this week. Hello, welcome to your postbag. I went along to the Prince of Wales pub, Bulkington Road, Bedworth, recently, and there I met a lady called Claire Jones, a teacher at Exhall Grange School. She recognised me as I was the voluntary helper at the school. Claire told me that her mother-in-law, Dorothy Mayer, had just died. Claire said she'd been struggling with a sight loss. She couldn't read the newspaper or watch the television. Dorothy was told about Coventry's talking newspaper by the hospital. Claire said the talking newspaper really helped her. It gave her a purpose in life. She went on to use gadgets that aid visual impairment and she also did Zoom as well. Well... What Claire said to me, I passed on to you. And it really made me feel that what I did was worthwhile. And you sending messages into Postbank is also worthwhile and helps give people a purpose in life who may be struggling with a visual impairment. So please send in your messages, helpful tips, comments, anything. I tried going through talking newspapers on the internet recently, including Birmingham and Warwickshire, and I couldn't find a listener's feedback spot on them. What you have is unique, so please use it. And the first voice in postbag is Graham Whale, who has a comment to make about High Speed Rail 2 or HS2. It's the second time he's recorded it, as the recording was lost when the phone system in the resource centre was changed over. So here's Graham. I do find that high speed two is a very highly motivated subject to talk about, especially when you know people who live in its wake. The problem is just about every construction problem in the world will displace people. 
no getting away from that. And I can only hope when it happens that they are um, compensated uh, sufficiently. But at some point, you've got to draw a line under that and look at the wider issues. My view on ISD2 has not changed from when it originally was proposed. Um, it's all about capacity, even though COVID, we've had COVID, it's now out of the way, and passenger numbers are creeping up again, and there's going to be problems in a few years' time. No, I wouldn't use um, ISP2 to go down to London. What is the point of going northwest to travel southeast? I would go down the west coast main line to London from Coventry, providing I can still do so. What would have benefited Coventry would have been the second phase of the scheme north of Birmingham, which is now been knocked on the head for political reasons. And make no bones about it, the things which Sunak mentioned in his conference speech as an alternative, some of them were already going to go ahead anyway. But the rail hub in the Midlands was going to go ahead anyway. So um, the thing is, it was a long, long term project. The um, problem is politicians don't look into the future. They don't look beyond the next election. And it rather looks like things have not changed. Thank you, Graham. Well, it seems that door-to-door selling seems to be changing. Here's Doreen Hilton to reply to your comment about Avon not calling. Hello, Graham. This is Doreen. I was listening to your uh, comments about Avon. I have dealt with Avon many, many years ago. I was at Avon Rec with my daughter. Avon would never go out, but what the problem is today, since we've got new technology, you do order most of it over the internet. But there are people around that do do Avon from door to door. But the problem is, if they can't get so many customers, and they can't get um, what they're entitled to, um, which has to do with the finances. It has to be a certain finances before they can, you know, be at Avon Rep because other to- otherwise they wouldn't be able to do it. Now, as for Avon itself, um, it's not just for ladies, it's for men, it's for lingerie, it's for all sorts. But it sounds to me, the Avon Rec and somebody who came to you at the door, they hadn't got enough people to go around to make up their um, money which they should have because they get a rebate as well. Well, Doreen, Avon was started by a man going door to door, trying to sell the complete works of Shakespeare. He didn't do very well at that, so he started selling cosmetics instead, and named his company after the river that flows through the Bard's hometown, Avon. Julia asked the question, what's in a name? Well, it was the Gateway Club last week, but this week it's been taken over by Christ the King. He gets everywhere these days, doesn't he? 
It'll be wanted to take over Christmas next. Never mind, they could have changed the name to Charlie the King or Camilla the Queen, but they didn't. Here's Christ the King. We had a bonfire night party, but we didn't have any fireworks. I don't like them anyway. My friend John likes them. Actually, my friend John can do with a jumping jack flash in his back pocket. It might wake him up a bit. We had hot dogs and tea and biscuits and bingo and a raffle, but I won nothing. Maybe now Christ the King is in charge, my look will change. They tell me that Christ the King is a nice man. I hope so. Supposing the club was called, was named after President Rudenoise. That would be a thing, wouldn't it? Americans think he's a very nice man, probably the saviour of the world. I wish we'd named the club Camilla the Queen. That would have been more patriotic. It's a nice club, though. Lots of love, Julia. Thank you very much. I go to the solo club on a Thursday night at Christ the King. Very good. And talking about kings, Edwina tells you about her visit to Kings Hill Nursery, Kings Hill Lane, which is near Stonely. Hi everybody, it's Edwina. I just thought I'd tell you about a, a recent outing I had, uh, which was at the uh, King Hill Nursery, a garden in Stonely. It was very interesting because as we started to look at the flowers, some were fading obviously, but lots of pansies had been put in. There is a new type of pansy that's come out that is a winter pansy. And you will have winter colourful pansies all through the winter months. Anyway, we just sort of wandered and now and again passed roses and my carer said to me, there are stalls here today. So there were many stalls with lots of interesting things for me to feel. Obviously, I couldn't see them. So the first one that we stopped at was actually where a lady had beehives. She was a beekeeper. So I said to her, I don't know anything about bees. I said, I have desperately tried to put things in my own garden to attract them. I said, in my front garden, I've got a, a shrub that is with white flowers. And during the early summer, it is a mass of bees covering it. I can see the contrast a bit when it's sunny. So I am doing my bit. It was very interesting to talk to her. And she got the normal beehive, but she also showed me her bee box. And in the box were the filed pieces of honeycomb. 
and she said that the honey is running down into the base and it is much easier to gather the honey in these boxes. It's obviously a new modern idea. I said to her, I will come back later and buy some honey from you. So we moved on and there were several stalls all to do with people of Stoney that do good with their hands. So the next stall was a man that had got a lot of wood products. So one I felt was beautiful. It stood at the back of his store and it was a clock that he made. So that was fascinating. I felt some of the other many things he got and I asked how much one of the smaller objects was and he said £20. So as I moved away, I said to my carer, it is worth it because of the effort that goes into making those things. We moved on then to a store that I got handmade things that were suitable for Christmas presents. So I was caught at one end with lots of pom-poms. <laughs> so I bought two headbands for one of my carers little girls and on each one were three pom-poms across the top. I thought it would be rather fun to pop one in with their Christmas presents. So I bought those there, but there was also several lots of toys that had been handmade. They were beautiful. But I said to her, I haven't really got anybody very young now to buy those sort of things. But I said, you do have some beautiful things to sell. Thank you very much, Edwina. And that's all from your post bag. Thank you very much. There's plenty of room for you. So please, and please start sending in your Christmas greetings. Make it a real festive post bag. Okay, and any other thing you want to talk about, and you can always ring us up on that number, 024 76 717 522, and press 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper or any other way you feel happiest. Okay, thank you. Bye for now. Your postbag for this week with Dave. I'm sure most of you will remember learning about the Doomsday Book during your school days. Margaret goes back to 1086 to find out about Coventry and the Doomsday Survey of that year. The Coventry of the time was in part owned by the Earl and in part by the Prior. The division, which later would be the parishes of St. Michael's and Holy Trinity, was in the Earl's favour, both in people and property. 
Among other notable omissions nationwide made by the conquerors tellers is the fact that no record was made of the prior's part of Coventry. The manor of Coventry was noted as containing five hides, a hide being a measure of land equal to 120 acres, arable land enough to employ 20 ploughs. On the lord of the manor's demesne, home farm, there are three ploughs, seven serfs, peasants of slave status, 50 villains, the highest social class of peasant, though still bound to spend his life on the manorial lands, 12 bordars, ranking second socially to villains and holding a cottage and some five acres of land, 20 ploughs, one mill worth three shillings, a wooded area two leagues long and wide. This gives 69 heads of family and a probable population count of something less than 700, allowing for a prolific, by modern standards, birth rate and a compensatingly high rate of infant mortality. With the addition of the unrecorded head count of the prior's part of the town, this would make a total population in the region of a thousand souls living within an area the size of 60 rugby pitches, exclusive of at least 90 square miles of woodland, the old league being an uncertain unit of measure. The survey undertaken by the Order of William the Conqueror was made in order to provide a basis for tax assessment and as such was the cause of much discontent and unrest. It was so named because, like the Day of Judgment, there was no appeal allowed against its findings. For over 20 years, David Suchet, Sir David Suchet, has been playing Agatha Christie's Poirot for the television series, among many other character parts on film and TV. Bill now concludes the story of his 53-year career, as written by Richard Barber. Born in London in 1946, Touche caught the acting vogue as a student at Wellington School in Somerset, where he played Macbeth, aged 17. During his last years at school, he joined the National Youth Theatre. His ambition to become an actor really took hold. London Academy of Music and Drama, dramatic art followed from 1966, before he cut his teeth in repertory theatre, beginning in Chester. I couldn't have had a better grounding, he explains. One week you're playing a young man, next you're the madman, Reinfeldt, in Dracula. The very best thing to come out of rep, he says, was at the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry in 1972 where Sheila Ferris, the company's leading lady, caught the young actor's eye. She wasn't an easy catch. All the men seemed interested in her, he remembers. It was a long time before she took any notice of me. Suchet hung in there, and they eventually married in 1976. In 1981, a son, Robert, was born. Daughter Catherine followed two years later. Each now is married, each with a son and a daughter. Sadly, Robert's son, now aged nine, 
quickly diagnosed with tuberous sclerosis, an extremely rare condition affecting about 1 in 6,000 babies born in the UK each year, causing non-cancerous, benign tumours in many areas of the body. He is non-verbal, he can't chew food, he's a dear, darling boy. I love him so much, says his grandfather. Suchet has always had a strong faith and is a voracious reader of literature about the world's religions. The arbitrariness of what has happened to his grandson must have tested his considerable faith. Yes, it's not easy. One should never pretend it is. It's a challenge to believe the God of love can also allow such suffering. It doesn't stop my faith, in a sense because it tests it, it makes it stronger. In 1973, Suchet joined the Royal Shakespeare Company and stayed there, more or less permanently, for 13 years. Ask him to nominate two pivotal roles during that time, and he plumps for Shylock in The Merchant of Venice and Iago with fellow theatrical grandee-to-be and Kingsley, the little fellow. His big TV breakthrough came in 1985 with Blot on the Landscape, adapted from the Tom Sharp novel, a role that eventually led to Poirot. His first contract was for six months. Who knew what lay ahead? He says of those early days, I took it year by year until I filmed all the stories Agatha Christie wrote featuring Hercule. It was perfect. Half the year would be taken up with filming, next Poirot miniseries, the other half appearing on stage. He singles out the European premiere of David Mamet's Liana in 1993 with Leah Williams, Arthur Miller's All My Sons with Zoe Wanamaker in 2011, and his unforgettable turn, Lady Bracknell, in the 2015 production of Wilde's Importance of Being Earnest. But when producer Kim Poster first suggested the latter role to Suchet, he laughed out loud, turned it down on the spot. And then, a little later, Fuda said I ought to have a rethink. Play her as a pantomime dame, she said. Employ all your skills as a character actor. So, I approached Lady Bracknell, just the same way I approached Iago. It took two and a half hours to get dressed, made up for each performance. It was a ridiculous amount of fun. Today, his rich and varied body of work has inevitably seen him attain national treasure status, and inevitably brought a slew of honours. An OBE in 2008, invested by the Queen. CBE in 2011, courtesy of then Prince Charles, and in 2020, knighthood from Prince William. Although Suchet had contracted Covid, didn't actually receive his award until January 2022. I've been knighted in plays on the stage a number of times, but nothing compares to the real thing, he smiles. Aren't I lucky? The things I've been able to do on the back of the success of that little man while I know Poirot will dominate my obituary when the time comes, I'd like to think there'll be a paragraph or two about my other work.
After many years of living overlooking the docks in London's East End, Actor and Sheila have now repaired to a rented barn in Wiltshire as their main residence, with their children living within half an hour in one direction or another. Although Suchet has been a professional actor for well over half a century, he doesn't feel quite finished yet. Whatever you do, don't mention the R word. I would never talk of retirement, he insists. I'd prefer to say the telephone has just stopped ringing. Poirot, a fastidious little man, and Suse, such a great character actor. Now, turning to something completely different, infrasound. Infrasound is sound below the level of hearing of the human ear, but can create some interesting effects. This article, read by Nigel, is by Professor Tandy of what was then the Lancaster Polytechnic in Coventry, describing his investigations into infrasound early in the century. In the early 1980s at the Lanchester Polytechnic in Coventry, Vic Tandy worked on a team designing medical equipment in a laboratory. Everybody said that the lab was haunted. It felt strange in there. One evening, when Tandy was on his own, something odd happened. I was sweating but cold, and a feeling of depression was noticeable. But there was something else, he told the Birmingham Post at the time. It was as though something was in the room with me. A grey shape appeared on the edge of his vision. The temperature dropped. As he turned to look, it disappeared. In his spare time, Tandy was a keen fencer, and on another occasion his foil was clamped in like a vice on a table in the centre of the lab. Nothing else was touching it, but the blade began to vibrate. Intrigued, Tandy investigated, and he discovered a new extractor fan nearby. It was sending low-frequency sound waves of 18.9 hertz into the lab, which bounced around and focused on the point where his foil was clamped. These frequencies, known as infrasound, were below the range the human ear can hear, but Tandy surmised that they had caused his experiences. In another investigation a few years later, he found that a supposedly haunted 14th century cellar underneath Coventry's Tourist Information Centre was focusing infrasound at 19 hertz from the pump of a fountain. He published his investigations, co-conducted with colleague Tony Lawrence in 1998. They cited a NASA report that put the resonant frequency of the human eyeball at 18 hertz and wrote, If this were the case, then the eyeball would be vibrating, which would cause a serious smearing of vision. It would not seem unreasonable to see dark, shadowy forms caused by something as innocent as the corner of Tandy's spectacles. Since then, the so-called fear frequency has built up quite a mythos. Some say it can make you vomit, send you running from a room, or induce shivers and sweat. In 2003, director Gaspar Noé admitted adding a low frequency to his film Irreversible in 2002, in which characters are sexually assaulted and beaten to death with fire extinguishers to unsettle audiences even further. You can't hear it, but it makes you shake. 
In a good theatre with a subwoofer speaker, you may be more scared by the sound than by what's happening on the screen. Noe isn't alone. Films from Paranormal Activity in 2007 to The Conjuring 2 in 2016 are rumoured to have used infrasound, as has the zombie movie The Battery in 2012. Human speech occurs in a span between 500 and 2000 hertz, and the lowest C on an eight-key piano is just under 33 hertz. Infrasound, according to Dr. Trevor Cox, head of acoustical research at Salford University, is generally taken to be anything below 20 hertz. All sorts of things created in everyday life, big engines and fans, washing machines, thunderstorms. Not everybody is sensitive to it. Whether you are or not is due to how good your hearing is. Some people can hear it, some people can't. It's just natural variation, says Cox. Noe added 27 hertz to irreversible, so technically that wasn't infrasound. But as Cox explains, the key thing from a reception point of view is that your ear can still pick up this. Tandy died in 2005, age 50, but other academics have continued his investigations. Kieran O'Keefe, a parapsychologist at Buckinghamshire New University is one. Most of us have felt sound effect our bodies, he points out. Imagine you're in a club and there's a very deep bass playing through the speakers and you're relatively close, says O'Keefe. You could hear the beat, but you could feel it too, in the pit of your stomach. Add in infrasound frequencies and there are other effects. There can be kind of a heaviness in your head or your ears. Some people report hairs going up on the back of their necks and a sense of presence. The composer and sound engineer Sarah Anglis has a background in engineering and has used infrasound in theatre productions. You almost sense it on your skin, she tells me. It's, it's, if it's loud enough, powerful enough, you have a sense of the air being alive. It's almost like the room feels slightly electric. In 2003, she and O'Keefe collaborated on an experiment to test Tandy's theory. I started to realise, she said, that organ builders have been building pipes that are so long and have a base frequency in their infrasound range. These pipes needed enormous bellows and engineering to force sufficient air through them to play a sound that nobody could hear. It begs the question, if this stuff is junk sound, outside the range of human hearing, why do people go to this, these extraordinary lengths? The pair went to St Albans Cathedral to investigate. We asked the organist to play an infrasonic pipe, and you could feel an added intensity to the music, said O'Keefe. Anglis noticed it too, the kick in the music, the drop, where you feel a sense of awe in the cathedral. Anglis, along with the National Physical Laboratory, then built an infrasound machine in a shed, using a 23-foot piece of corrugated plastic pipe. When they turned this acoustic cannon on, the strip lights in the shed vibrated and furniture trembled, while the room remained nearly silent. Not everyone was keen on the experiment. Anglis remembers receiving a whole stack of the emailed equivalent of green ink letters from physicists 
who said I shouldn't be running it on ethical grounds. She'd been warned too by a salesman in an audio technology shop on the Tottenham Court Road. He said you shouldn't be messing with brown noise. It was like don't do drugs. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. It's like the classic opening to a horror film. On May the 31st in 2003, O'Keefe and Anglis took the acoustic cannon to the Purcell Room at the South Bank Centre, where they offered a live audience a mixture of piano pieces and Anglis's electronic work. Underneath the music, O'Keefe mixed in sound from the cannon at different points. The audience filled out questionnaires detailing their feelings. The results were mixed. People were having emotional responses to the music, O'Keefe emphasises, regardless of whether infrasound was present or not, but infrasound appeared to increase the intensity of the response. Cox points out a central problem with such investigations. It is very hard to make controlled experiments at these very low frequencies, because any venues you go to are almost certainly washed with infrasound from other sources. Another issue is a lack of funding. Although there was a rush of financial support at the turn of the 2010s, when DEFRA wanted to understand more about the negative effects of infrasound and ultrasound, few academics have returned to the subject. There just haven't been very many experiments, he says. Curious, I wanted to feel the fear frequency for myself, so I opened one of the many YouTube videos purporting to send it out. I put my AirPods in and waited for something to happen. There was a soft rustling noise, like static down a phone line. I sat in my kitchen, listened for 50 minutes, before admitting that it wasn't happening. No tingle, no cold sweats, no ghosts. It turns out that a compressed YouTube video playing through tinny speakers in a bright, tidyish flat doesn't have the same effect as a giant pipe organ in the dead of night. Still, there are machines out there that might be sending infrasound silently into your home, shaking your eyeballs and, just maybe, sending a shiver down your spine. There has been a bit of a question mark over Hearst Baptist Church, but its future has now been decided, as explained in the article taken from the Earls and Echo and read by Keith. After a long period of reflection and debate, the members of Hearst Baptist Church have reached a sad but apparently irrevocable decision to end their 160-year association with the chapel fields and Hearst area. In separate votes, Hersel Baptist members and those at Hollyhead Road United Reformed Church have decided to join together to form a new church as a local ecumenical partnership, or LEP. That new church will be based at the existing premises on the corner of Hollyhead Road and Mosley Avenue. This means that the current Hersel site on the corner of Queensland Avenue and Fife Road will eventually be put up for sale when the LEP is formalised. The original building, more or less opposite Craven Street, was erected in 1928 as a chapel and Sunday school and served as a junior school during World War II, whilst the more modern church on the corner of Fife Road was opened on the 3rd of June 1961. Given the size and condition of the buildings, 
The present congregation are now unable to maintain them going forward, and they see the sharing of the Hollyhead Road premises as bringing environmental and financial benefits to the new joint organisation. Whilst the timing of this decision coincides with the departure of the Herschel Minister, the Reverend David Sutcliffe, after ten years, the two events are not directly related, and for the time being, Sunday services will continue at Herschel, while the legalities of the LEP are sorted out by the trustees and the joint LEP liaison group. For those church members and others in the congregation who have spent a lifetime at Herschel, the sadness is palpable. Some had parents and grandparents who moved from Lord Street in 1928 to establish the new larger base, initially as a satellite of Queen's Road Baptist Church, and built it into an independent church from the late 1930s. Some can remember when the Sunday school, consisting of five departments, attracted children numbering in the hundreds every Sunday. For the wider population, the old building has at different times been home to many community activities and public facilities. To give a few diverse examples, the uniformed youth organisations, Morris dancing, a polling station, youth clubs, a vaccination centre, the weekly luncheon club for the housebound, a place of music and entertainment in many forms, and a place of fellowship on Christmas Day for those who would otherwise have spent it alone. For others, not necessarily people of faith, the famous Herschel Star proclaims the Christmas season for miles around. It has not yet been decided what will happen to it, but it seems that December 23, January 2024, will be the last time it will be seen in its current location. Echo has been aware for some time that the LEP was under discussion and was likely to eventually be agreed, but out of respect for those having to wrestle with extremely difficult decisions and their right to confidentiality until those decisions were confirmed, we agreed to wait for official agreement to publish. How the site is disposed of remains essentially a matter for the church membership, but now the news is out in the open, Free comment about the best outcome for the community as a whole is both inevitable and desirable. We are aware that already there are people, some connected with Ursula Baptist Church and some not, who wish to prevent this historic and imposing old building being sold off and potentially demolished, and are desperate to try to save it as a vital local community facility. Some of those people will no doubt seek to gauge public support for this in their own way, and Echo does not wish to steal those people's thunder. Nonetheless, Echo is in a position to support and publicise, but not lead, any community-based campaign. Using our status and profile, we will encourage people to work to prevent the loss of the site to undesirable redevelopment and support the ideals of public use and the preservation of the site's historical footprint for as long as those goals remain feasible. To this end, ECHO is happy to be an initial means to exchange views, information and contacts until some form of campaigning organisation emerges.
It's now time to go back 120 years or so with more memories of hurdy-gurdy days with Alan. All the dustbins belonging to the houses in the court were kept in the backyard by the side of the closets, and our grace sometimes used to see half-dead flowers hanging out of one of the bins. She loved flowers and tried to get a bunch to give her mam for her birthday, as she couldn't buy any, having no money of her own. Poor Grace, she thought she was giving Mam a nice surprise when she gave her a few flowers on her birthday. Mam pretended to be pleased with them, but she wondered where they had come from, as they weren't all that fresh. But she didn't ask any questions, she thought it was such a nice gesture. About a week after Mam's birthday, Grace woke up one morning with a high temperature and a sore throat. Mam was a bit worried in case she got worse and would have to have the doctor because our dispensary club was in arrears. A collector used to call on a Monday, and sometimes Mam hadn't got the fourpence subscription. The last time the man called, he said, If you don't pay next time, I call, Mrs. I shall have to report you, and you might be struck off the books. Then no doctor would call, if needed. Poor Mam looked round to see what she could take to the pawn shop to get a few coppers, and all she could think of was her only pair of brown shoes— her Sunday best. She wrapped them up in a piece of paper and told me to run down the pawn shop and get a customer in the shop to ask Mr. Samuels for one shilling for them, as I wasn't old enough to pawn. Off I went, running all the way there, but I could only get eight pence. Mum said, well, I suppose that'll have to do for now, but he needn't think he's going to have me best Sunday shoes for eight pence, the twister. I'll get him back somehow. She then sent me to the dispensary on Priory Street, with the eight pence in case Grace got worse, and we needed her doctor, which we did. Next morning, Grace was delirious, light-headed, as ma'am called it, tossing about the bed, hot as a fire, rambling away. The doctor had to be sent for. There were two doctors allocated to Much Park Street and St. John's Street. Dr. Lamb and Dr. Pitt. Dr. Lamb was a very sharp-tongued man, contrary to his name, and man was afraid if he knew the book wasn't straight, he would refuse to come. Dr. Pitt was just the opposite. He was a very nicely spoken, gentle little man, whom everybody loved, but sure enough, it was Dr. Lamb who was called. Grace lay on the sofa in our one and only room, tossing her head from side to side on the pillow, her face still the colour of a tomato, and not answering ma'am when she spoke to her. Poor ma'am was nearly out of her mind with worry, and she cried and begged Grace to answer her, knowing in her heart that she was gravely ill. She kept saying, Grace, speak to me, please speak to me, I'll never shout at you again, and I won't, and I'll work my fingers to the bone for you, if you'll only speak to me. The tears were running down her face, but Grace couldn't hear her, she was too ill. When Dr. Lamb did come, he walked way straight in without knocking, leaving the door wide open, and went straight over to the table where the dispensary book was, putting on his spectacles to look at the subscription entered before he even looked at our grace. Man went over and shut the door. The eight pence I had taken to the dispensary wasn't enough to cancel all the arrears, but it helped. He looked at the book, then looked over his glasses at Grace lying there on the sofa. She was making strange gurgling noises in her throat, 
but he still stood by the table with the book in his hand. "'For God's sake, Doctor, do something!' sobbed Mum, but he shut the book and just said, "'Hmm, hmm, in future keep up your subscriptions.' Going over to the sofa, he shouted, "'Open your mouth, child!' But Grace took no notice of him. So he said to Mum, "'Hold her head, woman!' Mum, trembling, did as he was told. Then he forced Grace's mouth open and shone a little lamp down her throat. There was a minute's silence, which seemed like an hour. Then, as if suddenly making up his mind, he said, "'Good God, woman, she's got diphtheria. You must paint her throat every hour.' It must be got clear in twenty-four hours, or she will die. Send to the surgery at once for the necessary prescription, which will be five shillings, and that doesn't come off the club, as it is very expensive. Poor man was all agitated at her wit's end, as this meant another visit to the pawn shop. But what could she take this time to provide five shillings? All she could think of was the bedclothes, blankets, and sheets off her own bed. She would have to put all her coats on until she could do enough washing and charring to redeem them. She went upstairs and tore the clothes off the bed, and ran down the street into the pawn shop, going herself this time, leaving Mrs. Trapp to watch Grace, as she had got to make old Samuels give her five shillings for the things she had brought. She told him it was a matter of life and death, and implored him to give the money, but he was a hard-hearted man and was listening to hard-luck stories all his life. At last, after much pleading, he relented. She snatched the money and rushed out of the shop with it, clasping it in her hand, and ran home. Mrs. Trapp couldn't stay any longer with Grace, as she had to get a meal ready for the family. So Ma'am had to let me go to the surgery. She tied the money, two precious half-crowns, in a handkerchief, and gave me strict instructions to hold it tight. I ran all the way to the surgery in Cock Street, quite a distance from where he lived in Much Park Street. The doctor had said to knock on the front door, not to wait in the surgery, as we were so very poor, and I wasn't very old. I felt very proud, as only private patients were allowed through the front door. A servant girl came to the door, and when I told her what I wanted, she reached over to a shelf to get the package, but she'd been instructed to the doctor not to give it to me unless I had got the five shillings. She said, "'Where is the money?' and I gave her the knotted handkerchief with two half-crowns in it, without undoing it. She undid it, took out the money, gave me my handkerchief, and the precious stuff to paint Grace's throat with. I held it tightly in my hand, and ran off home as fast as my little legs could carry me. I loved Grace, and I didn't want her to die, and the doctor said she would if we didn't paint her throat quickly. Alan will be conjuring more reminiscences of those hard days in this continuing story next time. We haven't had any poetry in Outlook for a long time, so here's a short poem which I'm sure is familiar to you. Rudyard Kipling's If. If by Rudyard Kipling, who lived from 1865 to 1936. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you could trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about don't deal in lies, or being hated don't give away to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. 
if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves that make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your term long after they're gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, not lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Dementia UK, along with the Resource Centre and many, many other charities, relies on funds raised in all sorts of ways to su- in order to survive and thrive. Last week, there was a CD launch in aid of Dementia UK in the company of distinguished people, and Dave brings us a report. Hello there, I'm speaking to you from the Chai Cafe Bedworth and uh, the reason I'm here is because there's a Christmas CD launch from our oldest son Paul and, and his friend in Yonderland, Jane and also a couple that call themselves Casey Jones and the Mayor of Bedworth and Nuneaton is here Prue Puesa, the Coventry's Lady divers here. So it's quite an auspicious occasion for, for CD launch. Well first of all the CD is Casey Jones and Yonderland and the title is A Folking Good Christmas because they're folk singers. Charity EP for Dementia UK in association with DJ Plug Radio on Air and the Chai Cafe in Bedworth. Nice cafe, by the way. Hello, Hi. I'm speaking to Cowan, and, and you're one half of KC Jones. That's right. Hi. So I have uh, listened to you at the Trump Folk Club, and you're really good. Yeah, you're, Thank you. Have you been uh, singing and playing for a long time? A long, long time. Yes, more years than I care to remember. Around <laughs> the the folk circuit. Yes, yeah, I started singing in folk clubs when I was nine years old. It's quite a prestigious event, this, isn't it? With, with this uh, album, launch. Yes, it is. I've never had one like this before. Okay. <laughs> with the dignitaries. Right, fantastic. So what, so what songs are on it? Have we got any uh, favourites? So we've got two songs by us. It's yeah, Christmas Again and Tommy's War. Yeah. 
I was speaking to Colin, oh, Casey Jones, what do you think of the, the album launch tonight? Oh, it's been very good tonight. It's lovely to see the dignitaries here and Prue, Lady Cadaver and one of the maidens. Right, I'm speaking to the Mayor of Bedworth and the Neaton, Councillor Martin Watts. So, so what do you think of this uh, CD launch? It's, it's excellent, isn't it? Excellent. Excellent idea to raise money for the, uh, the hospital and, and the... Dementia UK. Dementia, yes. yes exactly, yes, exactly. A very worthy cause. Great. Very, very worthy cause. Right, we have uh, one more special guest here. What's your name? John McNicholas, no. former Lord Mayor of uh, Coventry City Council. That's right. We, we met at the uh, the resource centre, didn't we? That's correct. It must have been two years two years ago now. So, um, the fantastic resource for the blind, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, and uh, what is offered there uh, really is a great benefit to the city. And actually, the talking newspaper is quite a, an initiative that um, must be welcomed on a weekly basis. It is, yes, it is, yes. And there was a message that was sent in via the internet by Shell Baker of Books Fizz. This is a message for everyone supporting George Elliott Hospital Charity Christmas Single. I'm so sorry I can't be with you to raise funds for the Dementia Ward, but I know you're going to have a wonderful time tonight. Dig deep in the raffle and auction, and of course, buy the singles, featuring songs by local folk groups Casey Jones and Yonder Have an amazing night. I wish I could have been there with you. Loads of love. Cheryl. Okay, I'm speaking to Graham now. What's, what do you think about the message from Cheryl Baker of Bucks Fizz? Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I've heard her do that, yeah. It's great. It really was. Great cause as well. Fantastic. I'm speaking to Jane, who's one half of Yonderland with my eldest son, Paul. So what do you think of this uh, lovely event? It's been fantastic, actually. Yeah. It's gone way more better than actually I thought. I didn't think so many people would turn up, but yeah. uh, I'm really pleased that we managed to get a few friends and also some local luminaries, some local dignitaries to come here and support us tonight. So that was good and the people at the Chai Cafe have been really good and looked after us nicely. I'm wrapping up your presents, oh so carefully you then spoke to our eldest son Paul who's the other half of Yonderland and asked him about what he thought of the CD launch. What do you think of the CD launch and the event? Uh, it's, it's, it's great actually we've been able to work with our good friends Casey Jones who are, are brilliant musicians always good to see them uh, we've had a good turnout tonight we've been bossed around by Lady Godiva lots of people with expensive jewellery in, in high positions of power so it's, it's been really good and hopefully we'll raise some great money for, some, for the Dementia UK and for the George Eliot's Hospital as well. And we had another special visitor 
at the CD launch, the Chai Cafe, and that was uh, Coventry's Lady Godiva, Prue Coretta. I'd like to say something because I know some of you here very well, some of you a little bit, and it made friends with you all, so that's really good. And the music was beautiful from both couples, it was a delight to be in your company. Speaking to uh, Anita of the Chai Cafe, so whereabouts are you? And, uh, yes, we're based on Leicester Street, anyway. in yeah. Bedworth, opposite Tesco, yeah. and uh, we're open from 9 till 3, yes. and uh, yeah, we do all the traditional cafe food, but we have a bit of an Indian twist, yeah. so um, yeah, we do samosas, spring rolls, and things like that as well, so, and Indian tea, which seems to be a popular one. Okay. Yeah, we're looking for everyone to come in. And if you'd like to buy a Christmas CD in aid of dementia, please ask me. There are five pounds each. Okay, thank you. And that's all from the CD launch from Yonderland and Casey Jones from the Chai Cafe in Bedworth. Bye for now. That new CD launch brings us to the end of this week's Outlook. Don't forget to send your seasonal messages to Dave in time for his Christmas special postbag. And so, until next week, from me, Pete Walters, and all the Outlook team, it's goodbye for now.